Last time on Dadlit. Hauptstabs Feldwebel Weibel Auto Brand. Oh, Hauptstab Feld. Oh, oh gosh. The boys review Jack Higgins' 1975 bestseller, The Eagle Has Landed. Are there certain types of people, certain character types, even if you try and make them anti-heroes, they are completely unforgivable or unlikable? Hitler. Kind of a, a goofy goofball. Not, he's not goofy, but like his outfit's goofy. Benito Mussolini. Hitler and Mussolini. Hitler. Mussolini. Hitler. Mussolini. Himmler. Himmler. Mussolini. Himmler. Himmler. Hitler. Himmler. Hitler. Two fascists in a room sizing each other up. Mussolini. Mussolini. Hitler. Mussolini. Mussolini. Hitler. Heinrich. Himmler. Himmler. Yeah, they're pretty cool friends. Hitler. Hitler and Mussolini and Himmler. I don't think I'd ever have friends that would mount some sort of special ops raid to rescue me. Well, you're wrong, because I absolutely would but uh <laughs> so but uh in... i'll hold you to that nazis are the protagonist nazis and irishmen regular people like nazis nazis a nazi the nazis the nazis 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 squadron of nazis 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 full nazi for the nazi party <laughs> the nazi party nazi i don't think anyone liked the ss himmler himmler and himmler hitler what himmler wants nazis nazi nazi but again they're Nazis. Nazis. The Nazis Nazi, but not really. Nazis. Yeah. Have your cake and eat it too. Someone who's kind of forced into service with the Nazis. These Nazi paratroopers. Nazi. Nazi. No, he's a Nazi! Yeah, but he helped that little girl. Goddamn Nazis. It's not exactly a montage. A summary of the plot reveals Hitler's plan to kidnap Churchill failed, leaving Lieutenant Colonel Kurt Steiner dead, with secret agent Liam Devlin on the run once again. Now we return with part two. I had two big ideas in this book that I wanted to discuss, and, and they're both kind of tied into each other. And the first one, first one is this issue of synchronicity, which is brought up in the book early on. So when, they fir- when, they fir- uh, when Colonel Rattle first gets this mission... And then he gets the memo regarding Joanna Gray, and it's just like, wow, this is perfect. This is exactly what we wanted to happen, or this is the exactly what we need to, to kind of get this mission off the ground. Um, at that point, he's talking to his assistant, and he brings up synchronicity. And synchronicity is a, a concept that Carl Jung wrote a lot about. I will read, I'll read a little bit from, from the book, because he does a good job describing it. So this is Rattle talking to his assistant, Carl. Young speaks of what he calls synchronicity, events sometimes having a coincidence in time, and because of this, the feeling that some much deeper motivation is involved. Herr Oberst, Hofer said politely, take this affair. The Fuhrer, whom heaven protect naturally, has a brainstorm and comes up with a comical and absurd suggestion that we should emulate Scorzeni's exploit at Gran Sasso by getting Churchill, although whether alive or dead has not been specified. And then synchronicity rears its ugly head in a routine Abwehr report. A brief mention that Churchill will be spending a weekend no more than seven or eight miles from the coast at a remote country house in as quiet a part of the country as one could wish. You take my meaning? At any other time, that report of Miss Gray's would have meant nothing. So we do proceed then, Herr Oberst? It would appear that fate has taken a hand, Carl, Rattle said. So I... You know, I thought that was a very, it just stuck out to me. It's just like, it's a very kind of weird 
thing to bring into this story, but it makes sense because it's, yeah, everything is lining up. It seems that this is meant to be. Like, it seems that history is taking this direction. These random events have kind of come together. And there's another scene in this book that deals with synchronicity. So when when Jung... um, when Jung wrote about synchronicity, he used the Chinese I Ching as an example. If you're not familiar with that, the I Ching is a, a divination text. You can use some sort of a chance device, like like a die, or commonly you, it's used, you use yarrow stalks and you toss them. And whatever pattern they form corresponds to a, a passage in the I Ching. So it's sort of a fortune-telling technology. And there's also there's a scene in this where... Someone, they're all getting their tarot cards read, which I thought was kind of a, I felt like it was connected to the synchronicity issue and the idea of fate and divination because tarot cards are. I completely, completely forgot this scene existed. And tarot cards are, they're similar to the I Ching in the sense that it's, it's attempting to, it's using sort of a. Have have you ever had your tarot read? Not professionally. I've had friends who have, who have tarot cards. I have tarot cards. So I, I guess I have. Have you? I have. Uh, my question is, have you ever had a reading that felt, um, I don't want to say accurate, but like prof, uh, prophetic? No, I, I never had anything where I felt I was doing anything other than just reading something by chance. Like it did. I, it didn't really feel prophetic to me. How... Yeah. Like most, most, most of the like stuff for horoscopes and, and, are generally pretty broad and and will uh, apply to most like situations most people but i will say that i've had uh in my time in new york i uh my bartending brought me around a lot of different like um witchy um culture and witchy circles and i had a couple of very prophetic tarot readings people that didn't know me super well that were able to like develop quote-unquote divine certain things about me or certain things about like um decisions that i was trying to make that i didn't bring up to them ahead of time it was interesting but it it really depends on like this the skill of the person interpreting the cards like i i definitely don't i don't give in too much into like magic um but there's something to it for sure and maybe it's maybe it's as you say, synchronicity. Well, in this, in reading about synchronicity and Carl Jung, it's it's a form of like, it's a non-causal logic. We're supposed to, in like science, you would look for cause and effect relationships between events or whatever. In this, sure, sure, you sure. you you create meaning of the, because of the sort of coincidental nature of things. So there's that tarot scene, which I thought was kind of interesting. They're kind of bringing this sort of, you know, mysticism into this. And uh, Devlin, Rattle, and Steiner all get their tarot cards read. And Devlin gets reverse death, which he initially is like, oh, that's not good. But reverse death actually means a long life. And it says long life in an upcoming period of inertia, followed by revolution or assassination at the end of life. I don't know if that is accurate or not, but I I kind of think the point might be that that's all up for interpretation. Um, Anyway, so... That's all, that's, 
all tarot is is up to interpretation. Yeah, but then Rattle gets the reversed star, which is like bad health. You're in trouble, and the the uh, the the lady who's doing it like looks at him and is like, "You know what this means, don't you?" And he very calmly and sort of uh, uh, gracefully kind of is just like, "Oh, I know, I know." And because he knows he's going to die, you know, he's in really poor health. And by the end of the book, he is having a heart attack. And it's just kind of clear that he's he's in the process of dying. And Steiner, this woman who's doing the card reading, really, really likes Steiner. But she draws the hangman. But she tells him that she drew strength. And she's like, oh, great strength. You're going to be fine. But when she leaves the room, he he flips the card back over and sees the hangman. He says something. He's like, oh, women can be very silly, can't they? Do you remember that part at all? I thought I was doing... Nope, I don't. <laughs> so in the context of this book, like, I was trying to kind of figure out, like, what is synchronicity supposed to mean? Uh, how does it apply to these characters? And one thing that occurred to me is that they all, many of them feel like the hand of fate is at play here, that these coincidences mean something. I think Higgins might be trying to tell the reader something about the fascist, uh, indoctrinated mind and how it functions and how it seeks out patterns that serve the greater party or state or leader's narrative. How it takes different things, things that are admittedly coincidental, but that it organizes them and brings them into alignment so that they gel with whatever narrative the party or state or leader is putting forth. And I don't think he's trying to be critical in the sense that he wants us to think of the Germans in the story as stupid. Rather, he wants us to sympathize with them and to understand how easy it might be to slip into that mindset. But ultimately, at the end, the whole thing was a farce. None of this meant anything because the whole... That's what I'm saying. Because the whole premise... That's yeah. what I'm saying. The, 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 premise, the, the premise is a farce because the person they're going to get isn't the actual person. All of the, the, the possible wrenches that they can throw into their plans don't matter. Like, the, the Americans don't even really matter. There's a huge shootout and everyone dies. Uh, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know what to walk away from this book with. Synchronicity is a motivator for a lot of these people, even though they are completely um, misinformed. I mean, this, 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 this kind of farce happens in real life. Um, in World War II, there's a a sub-hunting force that decides to be, like, extremely proactive. And, like, they're just supposed to, like, detect subs. And this guy's like, no, no, we're going to hunt them down and kill them. And he goes hunting German U-boats. And during one such encounter, he damages the sub so it has to surface. And they start doing this thing where they're trying to cut each other off so they can get into torpedo range and, and whatnot. And the ship is like, hey, we can't let it get, we can't get in front of it, and we can't let it get away. And so they're literally just driving next to each other, and it gets to the, the ridiculous farce of people on deck of the submarine pulling handguns and shooting at people on the deck of the ship. And people on the deck of the ship pulling their firearms and shooting back. And it's like a, a fucking old-time maritime, maritime warfare broadside of these two ships firing at each other with handguns before the sub finally tries to like pull ahead and the ship just crashes like ramming speed crashes into it and sinks it. <laughs> um, but, uh, 
that kind of shit's all over World War One. Like a lot of World War One history is people just not knowing what the fuck is going on and not really knowing what they're doing and just trying to make the best of it and just gigantic farces happening. Jutland is a giant farce. Um, the uh, Winston Churchill's campaign in Gallipoli is largely a farce, except there's a really cool soldier that makes multiple runs off of a ship and like saves a bunch of people and somehow doesn't die every single time he runs off the ship even though like his entire like force around him dies um the the race to the sea is a giant farce uh belgium is awesome by the way um but like that happens continually so like i don't have a problem with this being a farce i have the problem of the narrative being a farce i i I don't like have i wouldn't say i have a problem with anything per se i you know this sounds like this is going to sound like trite but it's like that history is just uh, a a series of things happening and sometimes there there's no logical cause or an effect between these events and or that the cause and effect is like completely imaginary here's my thing so Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> and there's I, I've I've talked to you about this when I came to visit you, and we went to the the cocktail theater, and we were there for a um, an author, Sishun uh, Liu from China, coming to talk and do a questions answer, and be interviewed by George R R Martin, and I talked a little bit about George R R Martin with you and said, hey, something he does that's kind of interesting in his books is that. People just die. They don't die for a plot important reason. They don't die in any sort of poetic reason. They just die. Like, the thing that's interesting about a, a Song of Fire and Ice in Game of Thrones is that, like, they don't die by their villain. They don't meet a poetic end. People will sometimes just trip. People will get double-crossed at times you don't expect. And it's it's good storytelling because you don't expect it. It's good storytelling because it's realistic. In real life, people don't survive until the person that they're trying to hunt fights them in mortal combat and one of them dies. Like, the way R.R. Martin tells those stories is very realistic. The problem is with this story, none of it matters. I I could have totally done without the whole Churchill thing. That if 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 the book didn't wasn't so hung up and trying to be a maybe it's real, they would have just followed through with it being actual Winston Churchill and saying, "Hey, this was a mission that wasn't talked about because of how close he was to dying." This enormous ironic twist, it's just like, it kind of renders it a bit silly. I liked it, I would have liked it much more, like, I, that is literally what killed it for me, is that, oh, it wasn't Winston Churchill as an actor. Why does it matter? You didn't kill him. If it was the actor, have the actor die. You, you put an actor, you put an actor into the story, have Steiner think he succeeded, have Steiner think he's victorious in his mission and that he's gonna his father's gonna get released and everything's gonna be fine and he served his not just his country but he served this horrible mission that he was forced into completing and have him die thinking that 
that no. that would be good too because it would it would achieve the same kind of achieve the same thing it would be like yeah all this stuff is like all these your ideas of like honor and being a good soldier it's all bullshit it's just like you just you need we we killed churchill no you didn't no no instead instead we didn't kill churchill and it wasn't churchill this kind of gets to the, the the other thing i want to talk about which is this concept of the game that appears uh, throughout the different points of the book and i wanted to get your uh, opinion on like what they're actually referring to let me read two passages one of them is from that conversation that i referenced earlier where rattle and devlin are talking and rattles trying to hire devlin and uh devlin's talking about you know what motivates him so there th- this is that same conversation okay so devlin says if you mean a, f- a united ireland free and standing on her own two feet then i'll cheer for that i'll believe it when it happens mind you but not before rattle was mystified then why fight? God save us, but don't you ask the questions. Devlin shrugged. It's better than just fist fighting outside Murphy's select bar on Saturday nights. Or maybe it's just that I like playing the game. And which game would that be? You mean to tell me you're in this line of work and you don't know? For some reason, Rattle f- felt strangely uncomfortable. So let me read another one because that, that same language is used later on. In this scene, um, Steiner has just met Devlin, and they're talking about why they're going to do this mission. Rattle shrugged. Straight in, straight out. That's the way it could go. Just like a Swiss watch. You said that yourself. And the terrible thing about those is that if anything goes wrong with even the tiniest part, the whole damn thing stops working, Devlin put in. Steiner said, Well put, Mr. Devlin. Tell me something. Why are you going? Simple, Devlin said. Because it's there. I'm the last of the great adventurers. Excellent. Steiner laughed delightedly. Now that I can accept. To play the game. The greatest game of all. What do you think they're talking about there? Playing the game. I don't know. I think it, I think it works on multiple levels. And, and the reason it kind of... I, I, I latched onto that is because... In a lot of spy literature... There's reference to like gameplay. And the spy... Game. Well, that, makes, that 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 makes sense. It's 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 a, a intrigue game. It's it's the game of outsmarting your opponent, outmaneuvering, or finding that little bit of information. And that I mean that could be what they're referring to here, but it feels more than that. It feels like like a like a greater game of of men. Like the way he refers to himself as like the last great adventurer. Like it 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 feels like. Like sport, like they're they're playing they're they're using war as a sport. I I thought the same thing. To me, there was this this idea of the game works on multiple levels. One in the very most obvious sense is the the political level, you know, referring to espionage, terrorism, and covert forms of statecraft. The the spy game. I also thought it could be understood like on a bigger, more historical level where you're talking about espionage and special, you know, black ops missions as a major force in history, you're making moves that will change the course of history and you are a player in the game of history as opposed to so Yeah, you're on the board. You're on the board. You're not just someone who's an observer. But I also thought that there was like a as you just said like there's like a philosophical level where you're talking about espionage as a way of testing oneself at the highest level with the highest stakes. And for, for those who succeed in this game, 
there is a sense of like purpose to to your life and to existence. Um, and then there's also the kind of like romantic idea. It's whimsical. It's having a sense of adventure. It's a it's seeing what opportunities come your way and what you know what you can make out of them. I but, okay, but I feel like game terminology. This coming from someone who uses game theory a lot. Um, game terminology is used in a lot of um, I don't want to say cat and mouse situations, but uh, so like. Sherlock Holmes often talks about the game being afoot. And that's, you know, the, the, the game of hunting down a criminal, finding all the clues, deduction, all of that. You can talk about war games all day and being a piece on the board, which is, you know, countries playing this game with, with people and moving the pieces around and taking territories and retaking territories and all that. Um, but like to hear the soldiers and the people that are a part of this operation referring to it as a game, it 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 feels like a game of capture the flag or like like I said, sport. I think that when Devlin and Steiner are talking and they reference the game, it's like they're almost speaking a secret language, and they're like, "Oh, I understand you. You're you're one of you're like me. You're of that." secret group that very small group and what this what i thought this book does is is it tr- at least tries to do is it it's taking the, the the role of spy and of soldier and it's it's representing it not as a professional class not as like a job but as as an ontological category is the, is the word i'm going to use it's a challenge it's, it's a challenge it's as if that they're they are you know spies and soldiers they're state actors but like on a much more fundamental and real level, like they are fundamentally spies and soldiers and that is their reality. That is their existence. They don't really look at themselves as a soldier because it's their job. It's because they're committed to certain values like bravery, you know, loyalty, giving your word and keeping it, seeing the mission through to the end. And that's why when that you know, the kid falls into the river and they jump in after him. He wasn't acting as a German. He was acting as a soldier. And I think that that is kind of how Jack Higgins takes the sting out of having Nazi protagonists is it's looking at soldiers on a much, much more fundamental, almost philosophical level. And and I think the game plays into that in in many different ways. Hmm. Let's talk about something. Let's talk about something a bit more fun. Okay. Do you want to cast off? Okay, so I need to come clean on this. Um, I didn't come up with a list. Someone did not do their homework. Correct. This is um, the most fun part of doing this. <laughs> it, it, it is, and I, I can't believe it slipped my mind. So I'm, I'm going to just comment and modify your list. If I disagree with any of your choices or if I can think of any on the spot. Uh, okay, so for Lieutenant Colonel Kurt Steiner, this is kind of unimaginative of me, but Michael Fassbender, I think he'd be perfect. It's it's a, it is it is a little, uh, yeah, but I don't disagree. With I mean, given that this is like an a reverse Inglorious Bastards, it could he'd be good in it. Okay, next one is for Liam Devlin, and I thought my at first I said Killian Murphy, the Irish actor. But then I thought, no, someone else. And uh, I landed on John C. Riley. Oh, my God. What do you think? I would love that movie. 
I think he would be good. I would love to see that. I think he would do a really good job of it. He's a very talented actor. He is. He plays. He plays a lot of comedic roles, but like the the few times I've seen him serious, he's done a good job. Um, I the only thing I don't buy is his relationship with the girl. I don't know if he could do uh, the romance that 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 requires. He'd have to be big on the charm. I would just imagine. I'm just imagining him trying to read poetry to a girl. I could. Um, I could see it. All right. Next one is Colonel Rattle, and this is probably going to be the last time I, I say his name. So can you please tell me how I am mispronouncing this? Uh, it's Rattle. Rattle. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep calling him Rattle. So for Colonel Rattle, I had either Brian Cranston or Willem Dafoe. Interesting. I think I would. I think I would lead toward. Cranston with that yeah I, I I guess it depends on how menacing you want him to be he's not a very menacing character but he I mean he is a very like severe looking person with his well, I think I think both of those actors can be menacing but both of those actors can also be endearing okay father Verica for him I had Peter Capaldi from <laughs> Who. oh man uh yeah I'll take it I'll take it I don't imagine I don't imagine Verica being that thin, but I'll take it. Uh, okay, uh, Joanna Gray. I said uh, Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, I have to disagree. Okay, um, I, I I thought of a, a lot of different people, but I just part of me is just I like her, so <laughs> put her in the movie. All right, Molly Pryor. I said Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, okay, so I also disagree with Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, She's she's described Molly is described as not being very attractive. Like she's a young she's a young fit girl, but she's not very attractive. I don't think it matters honestly I think, in a movie. I, think Bryce Dallas, I know because they're always gonna uh, cast attractive people, but like I I would I would cast someone who is not conventionally attractive. Okay. All right. Like. You're still gonna you're still gonna find someone who is attractive, but find someone who's not like Bryce Dallas Howard is stunning. Like, yeah, I don't buy her being a like a lady riding a donkey in a small seaside village. <laughs> well, I if you think of someone before we finish up, let me know. But I I I, I see your point of view there. It, it is a hard scrabble life they have in that little village, and it's uh there could be someone who reflects that a bit better. But um. So moving on, uh, Harvey Preston. Um, I said Alexander Skarsgård, and I. I uh, one thing we failed to talk about actually, which I thought was like, uh, it was very brutal, is uh, what happens to Harvey Preston, who is the tra- the British trader who has joined the uh, the SS. Um, he dies because this character, Arthur Seymour, who's described described as like a, a drunk and just he's, he's this abusive guy. He ends up getting Harvey Preston alone and it seems like he, he like hangs him in the church. Like he throws a rope over a banister and hangs yep. this guy, yeah. Harvey Preston. Which is fine because that because that brutish character needed some sort of redemption arc and uh, the best best redemption arc you can have is taking out a Nazi. And, but at the end, it, uh, there's some reference to like, oh, what Seymour did, Arthur Seymour did, and the villagers seem like ashamed of it. It was a sign of brutality and lack of civility because at the end, you know, again, they they put that 
that memorial gravestone up because it's like I don't understand why. Because they seem to like they seem to like like Kurt Steiner. Like they kind of respect him and were charmed by him. Nobody nobody really talks to him. This is the thing that I don't buy. Like the only thing I could buy is if Devlin snuck that gravestone in. I think it's because he because the one of his men saved those kids. And also that they let the uh, the vill- the villagers go. They didn't hold hostages before the battle. They they released the hostages, and there's like a conversation that they have where he's like, you know, you guys think that we're all of us Germans are just these monsters. Did you did you really think I would stand in front of an innocent civilian and use them as a human shield? I would never do that. You know, who, who what do you think I am? Right. Oh, alternate ca- alternate casting for Harvey Preston. Okay. Andrew Andrew Scott. You have to remind me what he's been in. Andrew Scott played Moriarty in the the BBC Sherlock. Um, he's also like he was like the secondary villain Inspector. Uh, okay, I'm looking at him. He has a sort of uh, with all due respect to Mr. Scott, he has a sort of beadiness. He's very smarmy and weaselly. He plays a good villain. The problem with Spectre is that he was cast as like a surprise villain, but whenever you cast this guy in something, you immediately go, oh, he's a bad guy. Yeah, yeah, he has that look to him. Which is which is the problem of his, his casting in Spectre was that, but I think that would lend to the role in this because that... that immediate going oh he's the bad guy works for harvey preston he yet yeah, no one likes him like as soon as he's introduced devlin uh, gets into a fight with him and like beats him up a little bit so a character or someone yeah. with that look would be good so the next one is this character that uh, his, his name's von neumann and he is actually neumann, neumann von neumann <laughs> he's uh, steiner's like second in command and best friend and for that one i said uh matthias Sch- uh, schweighofer who is in that um he actually plays a Nazi in that movie Valkyrie, but he is in that. Valkyrie is pretty good. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Um, it's funny because uh, Rattle or whatever his name is looks like that character from Valkyrie with the missing hand and missing eye. I kind of wonder if like. Yeah, I thought that too when I was re- when I was listening to the story. I was like, "Is this Tom Cruise?" Um, but th- that uh, that uh, Zack Snyder zombie movie that recently came out, I forget what it's called. Um, he plays the uh, Overlord. No, not that. Uh, this this is I, may, I think it's a Zack Snyder one. It's the one in Las Vegas where they have to. Oh, oh yeah, no, no. You're talking about um, Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. This guy plays the the safe cracker in it. Haven't seen it, so I don't know. But sure, he's 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 very German. <laughs> I'll put it that way. All right, next one, Garrica, the pilot, David Harbor, the sheriff from Stranger Things. I'll take it. However, in that in this uh, book, at some point, they reference someone who was trying to become a pilot, but they were too big. They were like too tall. So David Harbor would not be a good choice in that sense. But I think that given what happened, given this the pilot story, I just like him in that role. I'll, I'll I'll take your David Harbor, but I'll raise you a Tom Waits. Uh, he's is he a little bit too old for that? I don't care. Have an old pilot. Right. I think Tom Waits would be hilariously charming as this character, just kind of like somehow too too tough to die gets shot up, still survives. 
So the next one is I have is Shafto, the the blowhard uh, American. Um, uh, I don't know if he's a general, but he's the one who just kind of gets him into a lot of trouble. I thought this might be a good opportunity for some comedic relief because in the 1976 movie, uh, the guy who plays Shafto is is like one of the main characters in uh, that TV show Dallas, and he does a good job. But I thought either Ron Perlman or John Hamm would be a good Shafto. How did okay. I really wish I would have wrote it down on paper so I could reveal to you that I guessed you were going to say John Hamm. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to argue that you subconsciously thought John Hamm for this role because you said you needed a tall person to play the pilot, and then John Hamm came to mind. Maybe. I love John Hamm, and I, I could see this, but I think I'd go with your other choice for this. Yeah, he... Uh... John Hamm plays a good oaf. He knows that he's like a good-looking guy. So if you put him in a uniform and like he he was just a complete idiot, I think that would kind of the the humor would work on screen. Okay, next one. This one's kind of basic too. Kane. I said Army Hammer. He's just very American-looking, sure. sort of American soldier. Yep. Okay, and last one I yep. have. Now I think that perhaps um, uh, Tom Waits would be good in this role too. Is is Himmler? Because you'd have to have Himmler in this. Okay, but who who do you cast as uh, who do you cast as Mussolini? Who do you cast as Hitler? Who do you cast as Himmler? Uh, you know, I, I didn't. Most do... importantly, most most importantly, who do you cast as Winston Churchill? Okay, I do have an answer for that. Um, but for Himmler, I who who in the nineteen seventy six movie is played by Donald Pleasance. Ooh, yeah. I wasn't ex- was not expecting that. And he plays the president in Escape from New York. So uh, I, <laughs> yes, yes, and he's also Blofeld in the James Bond. That's movies. right. Yeah, but um, okay. So I have this actor. His name is David Thules. You you've seen him. Everyone has seen this guy. I remember him most for the movie The Island of Doctor Moreau, the '90s movie with Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer. He play he it. plays the character Prendick. And he just has a very narrow face, and he. What'd you say his name was? David Thules. He was also in the movie The Big Lebowski. He had a smaller role. He played one of these like this like very kind of giggly artist guy in this one scene. Who he he doesn't have many lines, but um, I thought he'd be a good Himmler. Now. Oh, this guy. Yeah, you know him. Everyone knows him. <laughs> You've seen him in something, and or Tom Waits. Tom Waits would be good in that role too. Now for Churchill, the big one, the big fella. All right, Jack Nicholson. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> no, especially Jack Nicholson now. I want to see Jack Nicholson play uh, Winston Churchill. I don't think Jack Nicholson can do a British accent. Well, uh, we're <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if he's ever done like, well, he has like a Boston accent in one movie. Uh, I've never heard him do a British accent, but... I just that's that's my pick, I'm sticking with it. I don't know who I would cast, but I would want to cast someone who's good at doing impressions, and can somehow do a, a an actor playing Winston Churchill, like Ben Kingsley. Like give me Ben Kingsley in a fat suit playing Winston Churchill, or um, I mean Gary Oldman already played Winston Churchill, right? Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. So we can't do that. That's already been done. Um, nope. Uh, nope. I'm going to give you Jeffrey Rush. Jeffrey Rush is Winston Churchill. 
Okay, I could. I think that works. I like that. You know, it'd be kind of funny is if in the movie or even in the book, it, it ended differently where Steiner is standing there and he like he's got the gun on Churchill and he's just like, "You're not Winston Churchill." <laughs> he's just like, "What the hell? yeah." You're not Winston Churchill, and then the actor pulls a gun. <laughs> or if in the movie it was like painfully obvious that it wasn't Winston Churchill, he's just like, "Oh shit." Um, yeah, it's it's just it's just um, oh god, what's his name? Uh, Eli Wallach as Winston Churchill. <laughs> all right, but that's all I have for the casting there. Um, let's let's uh, finish up by talking about how dad lit this is. I think this is great example of dad lit. I think it, it appeals to the, the sort of, uh, you know, boomer audience. Uh, I think this is our best po- example. Post boomer audience. I tried, I tried to pick the best example when we picked a, a, a Custler book and we were close, but the Custler book was actually surprisingly respectable. Um, and I don't think this is, and this has once again our new criteria of excessive smoking and drinking. It has uh, misrepresentation of women, mistreatment of women. Uh, it's it's, it's got, got yeah. a plane. It doesn't have a. It does have a submarine. There no. There there's. I think there's there's certainly references to to submarines. Who need who needs a submarine when you have rideable torpedoes? You know that's you're 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 kind of getting rid of all the waste in that scenario and just you know bare bones just ride the torpedo, put a put a seat on that thing. Okay, it's got the sort of impossible mission trope. It's got an elite elite yeah. fighting force. Um, it's got advanced descriptions of weapons technology with the Sten gun. They yeah. also describe the pair. Yeah. It's got it's got a pretty competent like a hyper competent protagonist, yeah. but. I would. There's no. There's no uh, uh, gratuitous sex in it, but the romance is just very quick and not not very believable. Not very. You know, I don't know. It's uncomfortable. What else is on that on the checklist? I think that kind of about does it. I think that checks off enough. Overall, though, rating it outside of Dadlit, I really enjoyed this book. I didn't. I was not as bothered by the things that you brought up. I mean, I recognized them. I saw them, but I just really liked the the as you as you said like the heist elements like the build building the team getting the technology i was turned off at at how much effort higgins puts into reforming you know the 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 german soldier in the eyes of the reader but i also thought that not a lot of books do that so i'm i'm like kind of okay with it it's it's ball it's ballsy to make the point of view from the Germans. It sold fifty million copies. It's an incredible like bestseller. It's like I said, it's, it's ballsy. I just don't, I I don't like. And I will say, I touched on this in the beginning, and we didn't exactly go into it. But once the jig is up, once the eagle is blown, so to speak, the German soldiers become on in like just completely intolerable they they go into like, like war mode yeah whole yeah whole hog just evil grins let's fucking cause havoc and you're like all right yeah i don't like him so i enjoyed the book but going back to the dad lit thing i'd say it's, this is strong dad lit i uh, i'm going to give it um we usually do a scale of one to 100 i'm giving it 90 white sneakers and a 
silenced Sten gun, which is a strong, which is which is which is big. That's a lot. Um, I'm gonna give it because once again, it's good dadlet. Like it, it, it does the things dadlet. Like we, we've like I said, we've read some books that were surprisingly good. This one I feel like is the first one that like lives up to what I expected to read from this. Um, but I didn't really like it. It, it did a lot of things that bothered me. It did a lot of things. Like I said, a lot of it is just completely pointless. But it does the thing where it like makes you think it's poignant. I, I think if I was gonna norm grade it as a book, uh, I would give it probably closer to like 50, 60 white sneakers. But if we're dating, grading it for dadlet. I'll give it closer to uh, 75 white sneakers, 80 maybe, and a autographed picture of me with Winston Churchill signed by the actor playing Winston Churchill. Okay, that's a uh, that's that's strong. That 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 um, communicates strength. I'm, I I appreciate that and respect that. Um, yeah, I I wonder how many. Uh, I wonder if there are any presidential actors nowadays. Did you ever see that photo of Melania Trump where like they thought they were saying it was actually an actress and it wasn't her? No, but I want to now. It looks like an actress and it looks like she's wearing like a fake nose that's attached to these sunglasses she's wearing. Please share this with me, please. Uh, we'll, we'll put we'll hey, put it up on social uh, media as when well. We get so, when we get this when we get this social media going, we're gonna put this picture up. Um, it could it could just be the weird but, glasses, but I, I I tend to think it's not her. You know, I I love shit like that when you see people that are supposed to be people, and you're like, that's not that person. Do you often see? Um, do you I, often see like rep reploids? I was going to say no. Oh, I can't think of a good example. I've definitely seen it before. Reploids is a good word, by the way. That's that, That's like, um, that is, is probably like a very weird uh, psychological disorder where you think everyone is like an imposter of the, their real self. It's like, you're not them. Yeah. I mean, I, I do wonder how often that happens. How often there's decoys or um, reploids out and about instead of famous people. Well, I use the word reploid because there's this really good Stephen King short story called The Reploids. And what... Of course you did. Of course you did. And what happens... Uh, uh, minor spoiler... Well, spoiler alert. In, in the story, um, it's the... it's the Was it The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson? And um, they, they the band is playing. Johnny is, is expected to walk out on stage. And instead of Johnny Carson, this guy walks out but he's doing all the johnny carson stuff like he's like johnny used to like fake do a fake golf golf swing this guy is fake is fake juggling and he's doing stuff stuff like kind of like what johnny carson would do and then he's like he goes to sit down behind the desk and security comes and arrests him they're talking to him and he's like what this is like my show this is what i do and they go through his wallet and he has money american money but like the color is different and he has a license, but the license is formatted differently. And basically what ha- what's happened is there's been a swap. Some people from this other dimension, timeline, whatever, have come. Yeah, it's and... like Taman Shud. What is that? Oh, Taman Shud is like a, a fictional account that was made. 
people to believe that it was a real account. Um, it it kind of sucks that it was all fake, but basically, it's uh, a story where people were told that a person was taken into custody at like a train station or a plane or an airport or whatever, uh, and he had um, ID that was fake. And when they brought him in, he said he was from some country that they didn't like. They didn't recognize it was like a country that didn't exist. And they brought him a map, and he pointed to the, like a country on the map. He's like, "Yeah, this." And it was a like a, another like a different country. And he goes, "No, this is my country." And he says the fictional country. Um, and they're like, "No, that's definitely not that place." Um, and so they they sent him to like a a hotel room under guard while they waited for something and he just disappeared overnight and but he had like weird money on him he had weird id once again this is a cool story it's completely fictional also before we finish up i i mentioned it so there's a sequel to this the eagle has flown it's called and i certainly haven't read it maybe i will at some point but the the, the premise is that uh steiner does not die at the end he's only wounded and he is at uh uh, hospital after being uh, imprisoned in the Tower of London for a little bit. I think it's like Liam Devlin is part of the the attempt to rescue him. I would read that. It sounds interesting, but uh, I don't know. Maybe a future future uh, future episode. I want to make a, a minor correction to something I just talked about with Volition. Um, it's not the Tamam Should case that is the one I talked about. I can't remember the name of it, but the Tamam Should case is the Somerton Man. I am I am not as online as as you might think, and I am not. Oh that. man, Connor! The the Somerton man is actually a real incident. Uh, it was a man who was found dead on a um, Australian beach, and he had a piece of paper that said "Tamam should" on it, and it was from a book, like a, it was ripped from a page of a book, and there was like this search for this book that had the missing piece in it. Um. It, it was a similar case where they didn't understand who this man was or why, and they like everyone hypothesized that he was some sort of spy. Um, but it, it was like it ended up being nothing. But it was a real case where the other one, the the other story I was talking about was reported as a real case in a newspaper and ended up being completely fiction. That actually reminds me of another Stephen King uh, story, or the book uh, Colorado Kid which is about a body that's found on this little island off the coast of Maine. And um, the circumstances of the body are like impossible. It's like he ne- he's from Colorado. The- someone saw him like two hours before the body was found. And it's just like, how did, how did this happen? So before we wrap up, what are you currently reading? Like I said, I'm currently reading that last book in the Ender's Game um, series, which is ridiculous because the last the book that came out previous to this was like nine years ago but the last book in the actual ender part of the story was like a decade ago or more actually it was like like 20 years ago it's ridiculous it's it, the series has been on like hiatus for far too long has orson um, did, did orson scott card publish anything like in bit yeah he's been doing prequels he's been doing okay. prequels to the story um, but even in the last prequel, which he still hasn't finished, it, goddamn, he fucking drives me crazy. He 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 wrote a book that was supposed to uh, be the the predecessor to the final book. He announces the final book called Shadows Alive. It's supposed to bring the two stories of Ender and Bean back together, and then 
proceeds to write a sequel trilogy, then writes a, or I'm sorry, a prequel trilogy. He writes a prequel trilogy, then decides to write a sequel to the prequel trilogy, which is another trilogy. He gets two books into the, the, the second prequel trilogy, then writes a sequel to Ender's Game that's an in-between quill, doesn't finish the prequel series, and then during COVID says, all right, I'm writing the ending. Uh, the next book I want to read is, um, it's one I want to do for Dadlit, and I've talked to you about it before. It's Frederick Forsyth's Dogs of War, which is about uh, soldiers of fortune. I've learned that, that mercenaries don't like being called mercenaries. They're contractors or soldiers of fortune. It's like, all right, dude, don't be so sensitive. <laughs> Alright everybody, thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of The Eagle Has Landed. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future readings, you can reach out to us on Instagram, at dadlitpodcast, or you can send us an email, dadlitpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. I don't fucking care. I'm Heinrich Himmler. Get out of here. Just don't ask questions.